I always like having, uh, you know, my birthday was last week. I say that, so you feel guilty about for not getting me anything. But I also say that because what it does is it puts with me this, like, concept of it's like the new year. You know, I'm starting my, my own year. Like, everything's happening. So I really do love this time because there's that blank slate feeling. And uh, we're hitting through that as a church, too, because things are happening next week. Our new lead minister, David will open up preaching us into a new series. That's exciting. No beard. He's just like, it's new for him too. You know, Aqua Velva Man. It's just awesome. Uh, we're going to start, and then as a church, we're starting a new series. We're, it's going to be called The Word, and uh, our small groups will be going through stuff together. So this is a, a time for you to get engaged. I, I really think this is going to be one of the best years in the history of this church. And um, I'm excited that... Um, all this stuff is happening, but then you're at today, and today is just, you know, really, even when we were, like, scheduling it out, this week is called filler, and what filler is, is it's just like, okay, I can't start something new, right, and I don't want to go something that we've done, because we're all christmas out and stuff, so we're just starting with a blank slate, so I was like, what do I want to talk about, and it's New Year's stuff, so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is New Year's stuff. I'm going to start with a quote from Oscar Wilde. And it's from a, a play, and you know Oscar Wilde, 19th century Irish playwright, um, lived in uh, Paris for a long time, is buried there, um, wrote a play called Lady Windermere's Fan, and in it is this quote, and we'll see if I can get my remote working right here. There we go. We are all in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars, and this is one of those, like, you know, life quotes and by the way there's a fat boy slim song that includes that quote which is really where i came from it so it's not like steve was perusing oscar wilde but i did go back and look at this play and i don't know if you're familiar with lady windermere's fan and stuff because oscar wilde was uh, an outlier especially within the uh, aristocrat scene so he wanted to expose the um the hypocrisy of that so he wrote this play and uh lady windermere and by the way it has been made into a couple moving ones but it was so popular this one is a warner brothers one from decades and decades ago but i I would love just to tell the the whole story of it because it's this idea though to where like what lady windermere is doing is she's afraid because she believes that her husband is having an affair with this woman and it's so scandalous and she kind of confronts him and he's just like you just don't need to worry about this woman and yet she can't when he invites her this woman that she's afraid he's having an affair with over for like a a, a ball a party and it's just so scandalous to the point that it boils up in her where she just says i'm going to have an affair on him and show it and at the party a man comes up to lady windermere and just says i'm your guy like i'm so in love with you but she's like no that's scandalous and i'm married but later she goes and sees him anyway and come to find out i don't want to spoil alert this thing but what's funny is that so the the man who approached her is the one in the play who gives this quote that we are all in the gutter but some of us are looking at stars and and one of the reason that it has become the epitome of this play is because what oscar wilde wanted to do is show how hypocritic all of us are that we all think we're good and virtuous and such but really we're just all gutter people but the difference lies in where our eyes are fixed 
Are we looking around the gutter in which we are dwelling? Or are our eyes lifted to the heavens that are supposed to be illuminating us as something bigger and better and brighter for us? So really in thinking about this, I think it speaks much to how maybe some of us look at the new year. I mean, all of us wanted to old yeller 2016 or maybe most of us, right? Just take that out to the shed and, you know, sorry, you know, you had rabies. Mariah Carey did her best to try to sing that out last night. And here we are in this place where it's trying for us, uh, trying to figure out what does it mean to, you know, in this new year, uh, maybe understand our gutter dwelling, but maybe fix our eyes towards something greater up into the sky. So we're in Psalm 27 today. And Psalm 27 is an interesting psalm. Um, And I'll say because of this, because it is a psalm that is associated with the Jewish new year. I was mentioning to Susan last night because we were talking all things Jewish because she thinks she wants to be Jewish now. And again, both and. And I said, I'm talking about the Jewish New Year. She goes, but this isn't even the time of the Jewish New Year. I know, just let's deal with it. Because it usually happens in August or September. In, in, in the Hebrew calendar, it's the month of Elul, which sounds like the bad guy in Ghostbusters too. but we progress. And Rosh Hashanah is the new year, but what's interesting is that there's a 10-day march to Yom Kippur. And maybe you've heard of Yom Kippur before. It's the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. It's a day of fasting. It's a day of introspection. But the whole point of the Jewish new year is the new year comes and you're supposed to live the next days being introspective about your spiritual lives. And I think that's why it is an apt discussion for you and I today, because hopefully in 2017, if you're here on the first Sunday of the year, either like you just figured out that the Rose Parade isn't on until tomorrow, or you're like, I care enough about God that I'm trying to see what it means to my life. I'm trying to see how that this community will help me grow. And I hope this is what is on your trajectory, which is why I think it's a good conversation for us to have. So we are in Psalm 27. I don't know what page number that is in a blue Bible. Anyone? 393. Dylan, because of you're there, you're going to have to read today. I mean, let's start the new year with diversity and have you and I do all the talking. So that's exciting. But now you're like, now I got to find a Bible, which is the worst. I can go ahead and fill with more anecdotes from Lady Windermere's fan. See, the point is what's interesting is she go over to the Lord's house with who she's going to have the affair. And she brings her fan with her, which is a distinct fan. And then her husband shows up to try to confront the dude. And he's just like, I know that fan. But then the mystery lady is there too. And she comes out and she's like, no, it's my fan. It's a scandalous 19th century scandal, everybody. Now you're like, I got to Netflix this crap, right? Did I sell it for you? You're like, no, I really don't care. But again, that's the hypocrisy that Oscar Wilde was trying to show. It's just like everybody thinks they're all prim and proper, but they're all liars. Did that help? Trying to sell Oscar Wilde on a Sunday morning. This is great. Psalm 27 verses 1 and 3, friend. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, and my, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Okay, so as I said, this was a special psalm for the Jewish New Year, and actually during the month of Elul, 
Jews are supposed to recite this psalm every day. But I will say that it's supposed to uh, be preceded by the blowing of the shofar. And I don't know if I've shown you before. Some of you remember I have a shofar. I got in Israel. I keep it. And I was like, I'll bring that sucker in and blow a New Year's shofar because that's the thing a good Jew would do, Susan. So if you don't have a shofar, you're far away from that goal. So get yourself a shofar, number one. And the reason is is that the blowing of the horn, it's supposed to be this clearing of the throat, right? And then supposed to be this recitation of Psalm 27. And in it, verse 1 and 2, we see the conflict, right? This is the spiritual conflict that you and I have in life. This is one of the reasons why you believe. Even though you believe in the good times, the reason that your faith gets stronger is because it's when times are not so hot. And you're thinking about this is that, you know, I need God in my life because there's dread. Verse 2, evildoers are upon me. They want to devour my flesh. I have adversaries everywhere. And that's what the, the poet of Psalm 27 is trying to say here is like, look, in the midst of all this, I have God. And then verse 3 comes up with this powerful phrase. And it says here, which is, is like one of these life verses things, right? In spite of all this, I shall be confident. Maybe that's what you want to be in 2017. You want to be confident. Now, what's interesting is verse 3 here in the Hebrew, and I do this not just to flex the last of my um, biblical muscle before the new guy comes in to make him feel, you know, like he can't hang with me, but that's fine. All you really need, David, is the internet, and it'll help. But with this, I shall be confident. The, the, the word with this right there is that big Hebrew word. You read it the opposite way, not left to right, right to left. It's bitzolt, 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 I shall be confident. Now, what's interesting, though, is that as we know in language, it's like with this, and this is supposed to be a modifier, right? So when I talk about this, I, I'm usually pointing to something or I'm referencing something. Because if I just say, well, this is... This is what you really need in your life. And you're like, what the crap is this? Like, tell me what it is. This is what's interesting within the Hebrew right here. Nowhere in verses 1 to 3 is bitzot, the this, defined. So the singer is just saying, with this, I will be confident. But what's interesting is that he never says what this is. So it's like, I have all the confidence because of this. And you're like, it's got to be God, right? Because we're in church. And that's what everything is coming back to. But I'm going to say it's not quite that simple. And the ancient rabbis tried to wrestle with like, what is the bit salt that he's talking about here? So to do this, we have to meander a little bit. We have to go on a historical biblical journey to figure out exactly what the poet is talking about. And that takes us to the time of the Exodus. And you might be familiar with the time of the Exodus. There was this, you know, group of people called the Israelites and they were enslaved by the Egyptians. And God calls this guy named Moses to step up and try to help them escape. And as they exit, they end up in the wilderness and they are nomads. And the one thing about nomadic lifestyle is that you have usually no regularity there. And what God provided them in the midst of that was regularity of worship in the tabernacle. It was a movable church tent that God's people worshipped in. We'll talk about it a little bit here later. But what I want to get to is what the worship of God looked like. Because, again, they were nomads. They're in the desert moving around. But even though God said, hey, even though there's not consistency in your life right now, you will be consistent within the worship of me. I have desires. I have rules that I want you to follow. And Leviticus, one of my favorite books, Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, we read about the priests. So Aaron was the high priest, 
And he had a couple sons, and because this is just like, you know, ancient um, ways, and I don't know what, is that like the bus outside? That was a little weird. We'll see if it comes back. Steps? Trailer? Okay, good stuff. Well, it was, like, it did reverberate, right? It wasn't just me? Okay, because I'm facing you, it's there. That could be true. Thank you. It just was like, yeah, I'm, I acknowledge the elephants in the room, people. Where was I? Aaron, priest, high priest, has a couple kids, and he's like, okay, you're going to follow my way. You're going to be priest too. You do your thing. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, which were these smoke-filled type things, which is what they would go into worship in the tabernacle. They put fire in them and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to God's command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. And Aaron remained silent. This is one of those weird Bible stories. It's just like, hey, you know, God values my creativity. You know, and then you have these guys who are like, listen, I know we've been worshiping the Lord this way, but let's try this different fire. It'll be awesome. Like, God will be like, you guys killed it. And it was like, no, God killed them. We read these stories and we're like, man, do I really want to follow this God? Who's just like, you know, they were probably maybe well-intentioned. He just hit the smite button and they're gone. And then after, it's like their dad, where Moses is just like, and by the way, Moses and Aaron are brothers, so it's his nephews. And Moses is like, dude, I told you, don't mess around with that. Now your kids are dead. And, you know, Aaron is just like, he remains silent. And you're like, well... He must have loved his sons a lot. He's just like, yeah, they had it coming. Like, it's just a crazy, crazy story. But this is something that happens throughout the Old Testament. And God is always, by the way, so if this weirds you out and you're like, is he just going to choose to smite me arbitrarily at some point? You know, like, is that what happened to half these celebrities who died prematurely over 2016? Like, is it just God is randomly smiting them for their pet? No, it's not about that at all. And recognize in the Bible. Do you have a question? You looked ready for a question. I was going to even entertain it. Here's the thing that God would always do. Is he was always strictest on the people who knew better. Who does Jesus always fight with in the New Testament? The Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? The religious leaders who are leading the people astray. So again, this, don't be afraid for yourself. Just be afraid if you're that person who's like, I know everything, I can do it. And when God says, no, this is how I am, he's always doing it to people who should have known better. Nadab and Abihu knew better, but they didn't do this. And what God is trying to do is establish his holiness. Now you're like, how did we get here from Psalm 27? Stick with me because I'm going to try to land this thought here. But we've got to go to the next, te- uh-oh, fell back. Leviticus chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. So this is further along. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he's not to come to see me whenever he chooses into the most holy place. And that was like the inner part of the tabernacle. He's just like, look, you're not just going to show up unannounced with a casserole. There are going to be limits by which you will worship me. Okay? Um, behind the place, behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover of the ark, or else he will die. For I will peer in cloud over the cover, and this is how he's supposed to enter the most holy place. That's what that Yom Kippur day is. So the reason Jews still celebrate it today is it was the one day that the priest would go in on behalf of all Jews everywhere and ask for forgiveness of sins. It was, you know, if you think about that, we talk about this in Christian confession. It's like we're supposed to confess our sin, right? 
But we don't think of, and it has to happen at this date, at this time. If you're like, man, I was just a jerk to my spouse, I can ask forgiveness for them and the Lord immediately. But everything here comes down to this one big day. Now, this is what's interesting about it, and I hope you see. This is how Aaron is supposed to enter the most holy place. The word there, when he goes in on Yom Kippur, is pitzot. So this text says, with this, Aaron is supposed to enter. Now, can I maybe unravel this thread a little more? So you're like, great, what is this? It's still not defined right here. (laughs) But it's the same word. So the rabbis would try to say, what is the this? If if these words are, bitzot is here and it's connected, what is the this? Let's keep trying to figure this out. So Dylan, verses 4 through 6 of Psalm chapter 27, please. One thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy, I will sing and make music to the Lord. Okay, so we see this tabernacle over and over again, right? You're like, okay, I I get at least how it all comes together because it's talking about like when Aaron would go in the tabernacle. Well, here's the interesting thing. Psalm 27 was written at the time when God's people were already worshiping in the temple. The fixed structure. They were out of the desert. They had permanence. It was located in the middle of Jerusalem, where today the uh, Muslim Dome of the Rock is located. So it was in this location. It was fixed. And yet, okay, so when Psalm 27 was written, there was no tabernacle. Remember we were talking about the tabernacle? It was this place. So over and over again, he's talking about, well, you know, when I come in, you know, when I come to dwell in the tent and the tent will happen. And you're like, what is this tenting? And really this tenting is referencing another Jewish festival altogether. And you've been with me for years. Some of you know it's my favorite Jewish festival ever. It's the festival of Sukkot. But what happens within the Jewish worship was it went from the new year to Yom Kippur. This is like a Sukkot gathering a place where you would make a impermanent structure outside of your house during the festival and you would eat there and you would hang out there and you would worship there because it was supposed to remind you, even though I'm permanent today, there was this time in the past where our people weren't permanent, that they had to wander and meander. And from your temporary structure, looking at your permanent structure, you would be like, I'm thankful for what God has provided me because he has brought permanence into my life. Okay, so this is what's interesting is that we're hitting all the major Jewish festivals because it's a, you know, again, it's a psalm that's uh, recited during the month of Elul, which takes them from the new year to their spiritual cleansing to a point of appreciation when they're living in the text, uh, in the tents here. But look at the text here. The psalm is going to shift. And the shift in this psalm is the idea that the person just says, yes, bring me to the tent and I'll be happy. Even though I'm surrounded with all these people trying to do me wrong, I will find joy when I'm in my temporary dwelling. The reason that this comes into fruition is that, remember, this happens in the fall. Sukkot is a festival around the harvest time, too. What's the harvest for us non-agrarian folk, right? It's when they bring in everything. 
You know why the harvest is always celebrated across every society everywhere? Because it's the one time where you at least have some certainty of provision. Do you understand this? When your harvest comes in, you have this pile of food and everything that you ever need, and you see it and you're like, there's a release, right? There's a release because when the harvest comes in, you can count on what God is going to do because you can visualize it. Or maybe even better, what we see in the song that we sang right before this. We ask for God to haste the day. What is haste the day? Bring it quickly. God, bring it quickly where my faith becomes sight. Friends, harvest was when faith became real, became touchable, became tangible. Okay? So what the psalmist is saying is like, God, I'm surrounded by all this stuff. With this, we've still not resolved that. But whatever this is, you're going to bring me through. And I'm just asking you, Lord, just to bring me to the harvest time. Make my faith realize so that I can have all the confidence I need. Dylan, read the next verses 9 through 14. And we'll try to figure out what this is. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your... Your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will seek the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord and be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I love this because here you think that the poet, the songwriter, just has no idea what's going on. It's like he's like looking, you know, like, you know, your, your animal looks at squirrels when they run in the backyard. Like it's just crazy because here at the beginning of it in verse 9, his confidence, his swagger is just gone, right? It's just like, God, don't leave me. You know, like, even though I've believed in you, just like, hang around. I need you there. And then the tone of it shifts even in verses 13 and 14. More towards a revolution, a resolution. It's abrupt. But at the same thing is that ultimately everything comes down to, okay, God, I believe this. I trust you. Help me to believe this. And I love this in verse 14 uh, because I think it is something that really facing a new year speaks to you and to me. But you have verse 14, wait for the Lord. And then it concludes. And this would be balanced sentence structure. He starts off with just wait. And concludes the whole psalm here with, wait, wait. I hate to wait, don't you? Four o'clock last Friday, it was my birthday. You know, you like how I keep bringing this up? It's just some centered. But there's, a, there's an actual end to it. I, I forgot months ago, I was at the, at, at the airport and the lady said, hey, your license expires this year. And I keep just forgetting because I was like, oh, I forgot that it did and come to fruition here it was like i remembered at four o'clock on december 30th right so i'm like i better go to the bmv because i just got pulled over. i just my luck is i would get pulled over the next day and you know your license expires so sure enough what i showed up on the bmv in the last hour of operation for an entire year so i get there and there's 30 people in line and you're just like just kill me lord just take me i'm no better than those who came before me but I'm like, I got it. So I just got to write out. I was like, okay, look, even if this takes an hour, it only took like 25 minutes. So that was nice. Because when you go downtown, by the way, advertisement, they know what they're doing. So just go there. You'll be fine. 
But still, when you're in that line and you're like, will it ever get there? It's just like, you know, I don't know what hell looks like, but I think it's lines. So for somebody to say, just wait, just wait, that's tough, right? That's difficult for us to do. Maybe God will convict you this year just to wait a little longer. But back to verse 3, okay? What's the this, right? Because that's the umbrella under which this whole thing is. It's this, okay, songwriter, tell me what this is, and maybe I can be confident too. So this is what is interesting. This is what the rabbis landed to. When did I say that this psalm was to be recited? During the time of Elul this month, which was the path from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. And the whole point of that time was a life-rending, changing time. It was finding your spiritual centeredness, right? And what it has to do with is, one more Hebrew word, teshuva. Teshuva. The Greek is interesting in the word repent and repentance. Because in the Greek, it's almost a literal turning. Like, the, the root of the Greek just talks about repentance is just maneuvering yourself back to someplace. Teshuva is much more poetic because it's like a journey. It's a meander. It's like coming back to God. And we see those journeys all throughout the Bible, right? If, you're, if you like the, the parable, parable of the prodigal son, maybe you like it because you're the older sibling in that who is just like, I never left, so Sukkot. Um, but within it, sometimes your spiritual life is more of a journey, right? It's not just like, oh, I turn and I'm back you know, that's, that's a very literal way of looking at it. For a lot of us, it's just like, I'm turning back, but then I'm going to take another few side steps, and then I'm going to come back into it. What the rabbis came through is they said, the this of this is teshuva. The this is repentance. So when you read verse 3 over again, and there's with, it, it becomes interesting. It's, it's then, with repentance, I have confidence in God. Now, on the surface, that's dumb, isn't it? Because number one, in a biblically-based thing where it's like, no, it's all about God, it comes down to it's actually about me, right? Like, this seems the opposite of what the Bible is because it's bringing about, okay, with something that I do, I will have confidence. But understand really what teshuva is. What is teshuva? It's a moving, journeying, a movement back toward God that you do. And in that journey, even though you are the one taking the steps, it is God who is guiding you home. So with teshuva, with repentance, they will be confident. Now, what's interesting about this psalm, when you look at almost all the other psalms of teshuva, and there's many of them in the psalms, what it starts off with is that there's a complaint Okay, they're like, something is going bad in my life, and God is the resolution of this. Like, that is supposed to be the flow of psalms of repentance in the Old Testament. But in Psalm 27, it does the opposite. Because in verse 3, the person singing is, I have confidence. And then remember we talked about how, you know, just double-minded the, the, the songwriter seems at the end of this, where it's just like, oh, but there's things happening, and all these people are coming, and what am I going to do? They start off with confidence and go to complaint. And again, what this does is fit this understanding of what teshuva is. This is what makes being a follower of Jesus so difficult. Because you want an easy path, right? A lot of people come to church and they're just like, tell me what to do. Tell me what to believe. 
and then I will implement that and everybody will be happy. But you probably know in your life it's never been that simple, has it? As times you've had some spiritual highs, maybe that's you for the new year. Maybe this is the highest you will be spiritually, but by the time December rolls around again next year, maybe you will be in the valley. And maybe it's vice versa. Maybe right now is a time of struggle and it's your time of complaint and you need the confidence. But that's what I think is beautiful about Teshuvah is it embodies then who we all are in God, which is a bunch of different people. My struggle is not your struggle. Your struggle is not my struggle. Find the commonality in this. And I believe really what we see in this whole big university is this, is that true repentance, true teshuva, if you will, is the deconstruction of your confidence. I'm a confident person, you know? I, I like to, I just am like, I'm going to, make decisions. I took a personality test a few months ago and then basically that's what it is. It's like, I will make a decision even if I have no idea what I'm deciding between. And then I will, oftentimes, my flaw is I stick with it. (laughs) Why? Because I'm confident. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're not like me at all. Maybe you can't make a decision to save your life. Like your, your worst window of time a week is at the grocery store because you have system overload. Either way, you have confidence in something. And usually that confidence is in a certain ability or something that you have internally. And what we have to do, friends, is deconstruct what it means to be confident. Because in the biblical realm, true confidence, verse 3, with this I shall be confident. With this, my confidence is actually that, well, basically what we started the whole evening or the morning with, right? What Oscar Wilde said, that we're all in the gutter. We're all in the gutter. But some of us are looking at stars. And I think that is what you and I need to do in our 2017. Do you have the ability to deconstruct your own confidence and keep your vision heavenly minded? Maybe I could, you know, Oscar Wilde was a good poet. There was also another guy who lived a few thousand years that was kind of poetic. It was the Apostle Paul. And in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 He said there's no one righteous, not even one. And again, these types of things, it's not a perpetual dump on ourselves. It's a right-sizing of the Christian universe. What does it mean to truly be a follower of Jesus? It means that every day I have to take a journey back towards who God is. Every day this year, you need to pretend that you're on the march to Yom Kippur. That you're striving to be holy. That you're, you're working out your, your personal failings and giving them to God. You're breaking confidence down and putting the entire reality of your life into teshuva. A journey back to God to repent. So I'm hoping that's what we all can do this year. That's my blessing, greeting, takeaway, whatever you want to say for you this year. I hope you're able to live 2017 in repentance. Not that we are mired in the gutter, not that we are obsessed with our place in it, but our vision is fixed upward as we march toward God this year. Let's try to keep that in mind. Again, no better way to start the year, in my opinion, than for us to be here and us to have a time of communion. Again, it's one of the reasons that I love that we do this every week because you know what is going to happen this year? Uh, you know what? If I really wanted to be self-serving and try to hook David up for like coming in, I would have been like, really what God wants you to do is be here every Sunday of the year. Like, that's what Jesus wants out of you. Um, and you should be if you're buying that. I don't think you're buying it. 
But there will be days that you are gone from our fellowship, right? And sometimes, you know, hopefully if you're gone, you can find a way to get into church. Sometimes it's not feasible. It happens. But you know, the one reason I love that we have communion every week is that anytime you come in here on a Sunday, you recognize that it might have been a while since I've had communion. But when you come in here, you're going to have the opportunity to do so. Why do we offer that opportunity? Because this part of Teshuvah, coming back to it, all finds itself in the cross, right? The reason that God has permitted us repentance is that he gave all for us so that our gutter dwelling would not be counted against us. And we have an opportunity to dwell with him in eternity forever. So I love that we get to start this year off with a time of communion. And, um, you know, again, there's not a ton of us here. And that's great for this point is that let's get it participatory at this point. I'm going to pray. I'm going to just leave the trays up here at the front. And at this point, you're going to journey <laughs> toward the stage. But as you do so, the inconvenience of straggling over the other people in your pew and all this type of stuff, the waiting in a line, I'm going to force you to wait in line for communion. Within all this, just think about what the journey means, right? What is this time of journey? It's me trying to find my way back to what God has in store for me. And um, it's the very least I can do as a follower of Jesus is to acknowledge the cross. So I'm going to pray. We're going to have a time of communion. We'll invite you when you feel ready. If you feel ready, just come up, take a piece of bread, cup, take it back to your seat. Let's think about Jesus, okay? Heavenly Father, I thank you for these friends. I thank you for this new year. I thank you for this clean slate. And Father, as we look forward to 365 days of journey and meandering and sometimes life in gutter and sometimes having our eyes fixed toward the heavens, Father, we just come before you broken and realize we are not sufficient to do it ourselves. God, we pray that you deconstruct our confidence this year, that you help us to be centered in you and what you have done in our lives so that with this, we can face the new year. God, the way that we're able to do that is through the cross. And that's why we thank you for this opportunity to start our year off together in worship and worship through communion. Thank you for this bread and this cup that reminds us of the cross where the entire universe was changed. Father, help us this year to journey our way continually back to you. We give you all the praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.